0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles and turn to Acts 23, Acts 23, and uh, we will be uh, looking at that in a few moments from God's Word. The ushers are are coming forward with Bibles as well, and if you do not have a Bible, we would love for you to take that Bible and use it this morning and turn to Acts 23 in it, and if you do not have a Bible at home, please take that Bible home with you as it is um, something that we desire for everyone to have God's word. Um a part of their lives and, and we believe God's word can and will transform our lives and, 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 and it is the, the hope for our nation, it is the hope for our families and so take uh, God's word seriously and as we will look, be looking at it in a few moments together from Acts 23. So uh, get ready to roll, we have some, some exciting things to work through here and we're trusting and we've been asking God throughout the course of this week, oh God work, God work, God work in me, God work in us, God work then through us. And so Acts 23, um, we'll be reading that in just a moment. But you know what? Life, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize this, that life has a way of wearing us down, doesn't it? Troubles surround us at times and chaos abounds all over the place. There's uncertainty, there's fear, there's strife. And, and, and whether that's politically or morally, we see where our society is going. Yesterday I was lis- listening to a talk show uh, on the radio and I just could not believe. I thought five years ago you never would have dreamed that they would be talking about these kind of human rights issues and some of the things that are going on with the whole gender equality and just the craziness and the chaos. and. Charlotte and I were later on talking as we were driving home, and, and I, I couldn't help but almost laugh at just how crazy. And, and it's easy to become cynical when you see what's going on and hear what's going on in our world. And I think of my dear grandparents who uh, are, are, are with the Lord, and, and they live many years. But I, just, I said to Charlotte, I said, what if our grandparents would be hearing these things? They would. The, my, my grandfather's first reaction would be that Sodom and Gomorrah that we're living in. It's so easily become overwhelmed, cynical and burdened by what's going on. Or else even economically we see what's going on in our world. But then, and that's all the stuff out there, but then you think in here, in our own lives, in in, in our relationships, in our health, in our finances, things that are kind of up and down and all around and, 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 and there's uncertainty and chaos in those areas. Or, or maybe it's the past. It, it's things that have happened things that you've done th- things that have happened to you in the past that is haunted is haunting you and hounding you and, and and maybe it's insecurity that is now crippling you from even taking steps of faith or or just even kind of wanting to trust or try to, to 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 go on in in the next season of your life maybe there's been a time where you've taken a bold stand for truth in the workplace in 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 your family in society perhaps even in the church and and You've taken that stand for truth. You stood for what is right. And yet you've been criticized, ridiculed, mocked, maybe even excluded. And so you're hurting today in, in that department. Or maybe for years you've sacrificed and you've given yourself in different areas with, with a good heart, with a, with a pure heart, with right intentions. And, and there's been no progress. There's been no growth. There's been no appreciation, perhaps. In fact, everything has kind of gone south in those areas. Or maybe you're here today and you've been praying and you've been trusting God for something, for a breakthrough, for something to happen, for for, for God to answer these prayers, and nothing, it's like silent, there's nothing happening. And you can't help but wonder, will things ever change? Is this my new life? Is this the new normal for me? And all of us can happen to us, and it will at some point in our lives where we are then left confused hurting even disheartened and in the midst of it we would be tempted and if we were to be honest we've been there where we've said god where are you god what is going on you're almighty you're all powerful how can this happen and we start to question and we start to wonder god do you know god do you even care god where are you where are we putting our hope we, we, we desire to, to to put our hope in God, and yet there seems to be no breakthrough. And, and my prayer and my desire throughout the course of this week, and I've asked others to join in prayer in this area, that the Lord would have a word for each one of us this morning. Because regardless where you are today, we need a word from the Lord. We cannot survive without our morning coffee, without our, our, our food. We, we can't go on very long without food. We get hunger pains, and we're like, oh. I'm going to die we need a word from the Lord I believe today and if you haven't received that yet in your morning devotions I trust that this would be a time you will receive a word from the Lord and that he will do a work through his holy inspired sufficient word here this morning and that God would revive your heart your soul would encourage would strengthen would, would, would allow you to have the faith and the courage to continue on or maybe you're here today and life is good Although that was a bit of a downer it's like Melvin it's like I have a tiger it is you know everything is wonderful you know my rough riders oh, you a lot of you don't care about it. they won again last night you know and it's like you just you know i mean and and things seem to be going well and and celebrate and rejoice but stay humble we can easily become so proud and start thinking hey i've got a handle of this look at my life look at my business look at my family look at all of this be careful of pride when things start to go well. Because we start to think we're something. And God is not everything. And that is, is a reversal of the truth. And we're going to pay for that. As we understand. As we will fall. As you understand that pride comes before the fall. Doesn't it? And if you haven't learned that yet. You will. No, it, it will happen. Guaranteed. But today. If, you're, if things are going well. Again. Celebrate and rejoice. And, and we want to celebrate and rejoice with you. But also be prepared. Because. Because. Troubles are guaranteed in life. Chaos and confusion will happen at some time in some season of your life. An untimely death. The breakup of a relationship, a marriage. Children who won't talk to you anymore. Financial ruin or crisis. Whatever it is, we could just, a, a health diagnosis. Everything is going just wonderfully and all of a sudden, kaboom. It's, it's all of a sudden, you're getting to know the doctors and nurses and, and medical staff very well. And so today we submit ourselves to the word of God. In Acts 23, we see the Apostle Paul after serving the Lord faithfully for 25 years. I mean, he was faithful. But here in Acts 23, he's probably at one of the lowest and most discouraging seasons in his life. Confused over what is all going on in in his life and, and, and what has taken place. Yet he would hear words from Jesus that would change everything. A word from Jesus made all the difference in his world, and would change his life, his understanding, his perspective, and he would go on to faithfully fulfill the mission that God had called him to. It is my prayer that the same would happen in our lives. We would receive a word today, and we would continue on in faithfulness as followers of Christ. Just to do a little recap to know where, where we are, because we haven't touched the book of Acts for a number of weeks. Well, here in, in where we are in Acts 23, just prior to this, we understand that it was Paul, Paul's goal, his dream, his desire after his three missionary journeys. He was hoping, trusting, praying to get to Jerusalem. That was where he wanted to go. He wanted to go there. He wanted to see the brothers and the sisters. He wanted to see the church. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted to go and give a defense for the gospel. He wanted to preach Christ in the temple courts. He so longed to go and encourage the church and its leaders. And finally, at the end of his third missionary journey, he had the opportunity, the opportunity came to, to, to get to Jerusalem. And we've been working through uh, the last part of the book of Acts. And, and so in Acts 22, we see that he made it to Jerusalem, even though he had been warned, it won't be easy. It won't be wonderful. It's going to be hard. And he gets there, and there's an initial warm welcome. The welcoming committee is there. It seems the elders are there. But shortly after, things go downhill rather quickly. Instead of a hot, on-fire church for God, he finds a lukewarm church, a compromising church. He finds legalistic believers. And, and when push came to shove, they didn't stand with him. How hurtful. They didn't defend him when there was opportunity to do so. Then there was the lies that started, the false accusations. And next thing you know, he's the cause of two riots that took place. He receives a brutal beating to the point where they were trying to kill him, but is rescued, his life is saved by Roman soldiers who come into the temple courts and end up saving his life. But now he's in Roman custody, in a Roman, in a, in a Roman prison. The Roman Tribune, or the commander, as we read about, he's so confused by what's going on, this uproar with this Jewish man, or is he a Jew? Like, who is he? What is he? He's so confused, he's going to get to the bottom of the situation finally at the end of Acts 22, because nothing else seems to be working. He's given Paul a chance to say some stuff, and it erupted in a riot. And, and so he decides that he's going to employ the Jack Bauer method of questioning of, of, of Paul. He's like, we're going to get to the bottom of this with a good flogging. Now, a good flogging in those days meant a wooden stick with some leather straps, and on the end of those leather straps were embedded some glass and some metal pieces. And he was going to get a good flogging because they were going to get him to talk by hook or by crook. Paul was going to talk. And just at the end of chapter 22, as they're about ready to lay this flogging on him, Paul yells out, Halt! You cannot do this! I'm a Roman citizen! And the tribune is like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And he finds out for sure he is a Roman citizen, and it's against the law to, to, to beat a, a, a Roman citizen without due cause or without a fair trial. And, and so he's like, oh, what are we going to do now? And so the, rib, the, the Roman tribune decides, let's call together the Sanhedrin. Now, these boys should know what they're talking about. This is kind of like the Senate in Ottawa. I'm kind of likened it, it to, anyways, these, the, these old boys club that are made up of Sadducees and Pharisees. Now, Sadducees and Pharisees didn't like each other. And because of that, the Sadducees were very Sadducee. Uh, you get that? Uh, I was like, I heard that in, in, in college. I knew one day it would come time to be able to share that with you. There goes four years of education that's all we know and so, so the Pharisees and the Sadducees they're, they're, they make up of 70 of these kind of overriding elders but they didn't get along but, but they were you know the ones to keep the Jewish kind of customs and traditions and yet they warred kind of amongst themselves and that and so, so, so the tribune calls together a, a hastily uh, called little hearing with Paul and, and he's like okay let's figure this out for crying out loud you ever get to the point where you have to do that? Our family would do that. We had, there were six kids growing up in our family and every time the stress and the tension and, and, and just, you know, kids not, you know, my brothers and sisters not cleaning up their rooms. My brothers and sisters not doing their chores and, you know, all that kind of thing. So, you know, I would go to my dad and say, Dad, it's time to call a family meeting. You know, no, it was usually, I was the cause of these family, uh, family meetings and family conference and, 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 and it was like, okay, let's air it all. Let's get everything on the table. Let's get it figured out and then we would always end up together in, in prayer, in, in worship together as a family, like we're going to strive together for unity. Anyways, that's what the Roman tribute. let's get Paul together, let's get the Sanhedrin together, and he's hoping at the end of it they're going to sing Kumbaya, you know, and that it's all going to work out. So, that's happening. They're going to um, do this, uh, this meeting, and so at Acts 23, um, we, we end up seeing now this hearing is taking place. But instead of it being a kumbaya moment and it going really awesome, in fact, now things go from bad to even worse, if it could get any worse. And here's my hope this morning as we look at the life of Paul, and in the midst of the chaos and the confusion, he receives a word from God. And it is my hope and it is my prayer here this morning for each one of us that we would learn and we would be instructed from God's word here this morning by his spirit. And that we would experience his touch, his voice, his word for us today. No matter whatever it is that you are facing. Even in the midst of the chaos, would you find Christ today? But in order to experience Christ In the chaos, it requires a number of things. And we're going to see that to experience Christ in the chaos requires three things. And and we're going to see this here from the passage. This isn't made up. This isn't from some book. This is from the book. This is from the Word of God. And so in order to experience Christ in the chaos, it requires, first of all, living under the authority of God's Word. You see, Paul desired to live under the authority and be obedient to God's Word as he was able, as he was aware, as he understood God's Word. And so, this was a practice in his life, and we're going to see this here, even in this time of chaos and confusion, when it would seem a perfect time to divert from God's word, to come out under the authority of God's word, to not be obedient to God's word. So, in verse 1, let's pick it up, and it says, And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers. Now, Now, Paul doesn't come out fighting or swinging. In fact, that word, brothers, is a term of endearment, it's friendship, it's love. He didn't come out with eyes glaring and say, you bunch of scoundrels who are just so silly and so confused and can't You No, he's not like that. He's coming with a term of endearment here. Brothers, he calls them. In fact, he's being winsome here. He's, he has this loving, a humble approach. And quite possibly, he did even know some of these men from before when he was Saul of Tarsus, when he was, some believe he was actually, quite possible, a member of the Sanhedrin at one point in his life or in his career before Christ. And so he quite possibly knew some of the men that were on this ruling council. And so there's humility in his approach. So let's continue. Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. I mean, Paul just barely gets his speech going. And Ananias, the high priest, just loses it. And he commands, not this isn't this nice little, you know, backhand smack across the face. This is a punch, a blow right in the chops, right in the mouth is what he commanded them to do. And, 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 so, and we even understand that, that more than likely they did pound him in the face. And it seems that Ananias got all ticked off with Paul, maybe over this hastily called meeting, but also when Paul said these words that I've been living my life before God in all good conscience, that really ticked him off because he was not a good Jew. He was a follower of the way. He was one who left the faith. How could you live before God? That's blasphemy. How could you say you could live with a clean conscience before God? And he just loses it. Paul wasn't claiming to live a perfect life here. He made mistakes. He messed up. This wasn't a claim that he was sinless, but he lived in good conscience before God. He desired to live and honor God, and and when he messed up, he fessed up. He confessed. He made it right before God and before others. Now, again, let's just try to understand Paul's condition. Nothing is going right for him here. Basically, he's been rejected in Jerusalem. His friends, his colleagues, his traveling companions are nowhere to be found. He's all alone. He's been beaten by a Jewish mob, almost flogged Jack Bauer style by the Romans. And now he's in custody. And now he gets popped in the face at the command of the high priest. And he's like, can things get any worse in this? Look at verse 3. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law and yet contrary to the law that you ordered me to be struck? Paul gets hit. He gets hit in the mouth, and now he lashes out. What happens when somebody strikes out at you, either with words or or even physically? What is the reaction? You fight back, don't you? And so Paul... He's not fighting back physically, but wow, did he ever have a load full of words here. You whitewashed walls, you whitewashed tombs. And Paul is hit in the mouth. He, he now lashes out at them because they're breaking the law. They're accusing him of breaking some law back, you know, in Jerusalem that there's no witness, there's no truth to that whole situation, just false accusation. Now, they seem to be above the law by striking, by giving the instruction for Paul to be struck in the mouth. They were breaking the law. You see, it was against Jewish law for a fellow Jew to be struck in such a manner without due process happening, without a trial, you just couldn't order anyone just to be punched in the mouth in this way, especially if you were a religious leader. This was so wrong. The Jewish Talmud actually says this, He, he who strikes the cheek of an Israelite strikes, as it were, the glory of God. Like This is a serious matter. You just don't go, order, go around ordering someone to be punched. And so Paul loses it. And in more recent language of what we're hearing today, Paul's response is, how dare you? We're hearing a bit of that these days, aren't we, by some climate activist or something. And so Paul's like, how dare you do something like that? You whitewashed wall, you? In those days, they would paint tombs with a white kind of paint in order to make them look clean and shiny on the outside, as well as so that Jews would know where a tomb was and so they wouldn't accidentally touch it or rub by it in the night because if you went by a tomb and you touched it, it would make you ceremonially unclean and it would cost you some money and some time to get ceremonially clean again. And so they would paint their tombs white so they would be identified, but it would also look nice and clean and shiny on the outside, but on the inside, and, and basically what do you say, you look all clean and shiny on the inside, but on the inside you're death and stink. That's what you are on the inside. Yeah, you look all nice, and you, you know, he's just giving, like, he's, love it. Paul's fired up. He, he has good reason. He's calling them out on their own hypocrisy. And he was in good company doing that. Remember the Old Testament prophets? They called out the leaders. They called out the priests on their hypocrisy and sin. Jesus, he called out the Pharisees. He called them whitewashed tombs. He ended up on a cross. But Paul is fired up and for good reason. So let's keep going. Verse 4. It says, those who stood by said this, would you revile God's high priest? In other words, they were saying to him now, how dare you? How dare you do such a thing? Paul, in a moment, is cut down. He is humbled when he realizes, oh no, I just said that to the high priest. Look at in verse 5, it says, and Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that this was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Paul is cut down and he is struck to the heart because he has just violated God's word. Yeah, they have been violating God's word and now he violates God's word. He's calling them out and now God's word by his spirit is calling out Paul. You see, Paul realizes and he actually quotes from Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight, 28 where it says, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. You know, folks, I think there's an important lesson in that. 2019, post-election, pre-election. You shall not speak evil of a leader of your people. Was the high priest fair? Was he corrupt? He was known to be a tyrant, a corrupt and an angry man. And yet Paul honored the position that he had. Paul honored and saw God's word as authoritative in his life. And he knew what God's word said about honouring those in authority. And Paul desired to do that. He desired to live under the authority and in obedience to God's word. Even when he could not respect or honour the person holding the position, he upheld the position that God had created, that God had made. You see, in our own world in 2019, we may not like or agree with the people that have been elected into office We may have real concerns about their character and their policies and their views. But they are part of a God-given institution that God has made. And there is a level of respect and honor that we are to have as God's people. And I really believe in so many ways, and, and I've been just cut to the heart in this this past week as I've kind of thought about some of the things I've said Romans 13, verse 1, 1 Peter 2, 17, give us instructions about honoring and respecting and praying for those in authority over us. We can disagree with them. We can seek their defeat in the next election, but we are to do so with a level of respect, not resorting to the world's standards in this way. And it's so easy to get caught up in the bashing and the mocking and the ridiculing And this is true of all authority. And, you know, this is where I I honestly believe, and again, I have to say it myself, that judgment begins in the house of God. If we're truly concerned for our nation, if we're concerned for our morals and, and that, we're not honoring God's word. We see everything that's going on, but are we honoring God's word when it comes to this instruction? Are we praying for our leaders? Are we honoring them? Are we respecting the position? Are we praying that they would make God-honoring decisions? That, that God, if God can infiltrate and invade the life of a terrorist like Saul, he could invade and seek out the most corrupt politician, the most corrupt business person. This isn't just in politics. This is our teachers. This is the police. Our employers. Even the tax man. Now you're meddling, preacher. But we've become so rebellious, trying to justify it, and we say, well, they're scoundrels and they're cheats anyway, so it doesn't matter what I'm doing. And then we wonder where God's power and God's presence is in our nation and in our churches, in our own lives. You see, for the follower of Christ, there's a higher standard we are to live by, a higher authority in our lives. And that higher authority is is God's word. And I can't help but wonder if repentance started in the house of God in this area and honoring God's word in this area and started here in our city, in our church, and, and, and moved out from here and moved across our nation. What would our nation look like if we as God's people started honoring the word of God as authoritative and desire to be obedient to it in all areas of our lives? Yet we justify and we make excuses. Paul could have easily have done that. Well, the high priest was breaking the law. No, he understood that he was violating now the word of God. Next Sunday night, part of our, as kind of a theme and a focus of our prayer night and worship night, it's going to be a special night. As we worship the Lord, and we're going to take time to pray for our leaders, locally, provincially, nationally, even leaders in other nations. We're going to pray for those in authority over us, and we're going to honor. We want to pray that God would work in their lives. I encourage you to come next Sunday night. It's going to be a special time in that way. We're going to pray for then God to work in our hearts as we do that, that God would revive and touch our lives as his church, his bride comes under the authority and the obedience of God's word, even in this area. And Paul says, he says, I didn't know it was the high priest. I didn't know it was he, the one, the high priest that gave that order. And, and, and it's kind of funny in, in reading and studying this week, all the different reasons as to why Paul didn't realize this was the high priest. Maybe it was a crowd of people. It was maybe dark and the high priest was standing behind. This was a hastily called meeting. And so he wasn't wearing his, his, his holy robes and vestments that he would wear as the high priest. Perhaps the high priest had changed. Since, well, no doubt had changed since the time that, that Paul had been there. Some have said that Paul, and we understand, had poor eyesight, so maybe he didn't see very well. All kinds of different reasons in that. But we do believe that Paul truly did. He didn't understand it was a high priest. But when he realized his error and his sin, he was struck to the heart and he immediately recants. He's like, I have to let this one go. He doesn't stand and stew. He doesn't justify. He doesn't excuse. He's like, just, just give me some time. No, he, he deals with it right away. Paul was human. He made mistakes. He sinned. And he was first and he was quick to own it and to admit it. And you know what ends up happening in a guy like him? We end up respecting him all the more. But we're so proud and we're so stubborn because we think if I repent, if I come clean in an area, if I, if I apologize to someone that somehow I'm just some low-life loser when really the reality is is that as we humble ourselves before God, as we humble ourselves before others, God lifts us up. My level of respect for the Apostle Paul just in reading this passage and understanding what's going on here, how it was unfair, and yet he says, I don't want to violate. My respect and, and, and appreciation for this man just even grew even more this week as I studied God's word. He doesn't justify it. He owns his sin. He recognizes also, too, that his sin was first against God. That's why he quotes from, from, from the word of God here and says, hey, I violated God's word. He knew from Proverbs 28 that he who conceals, he who holds on to his sin, he who lives in areas of sin will not prosper. You may think you can cover it over and you can kind of hit the high gear for a little while. But as we, another passage of scripture is that we're going to reap what we sow. And and the sad thing is we're going to reap more than we sow. And we reap in a different season than we sow. But that is the law of the harvest. And he knew that full well. He knew about reading from the life of David that living with unrepentant sin in our lives. From Psalm 51 affects our relationship with God. As David poured his heart out to God and he says, as I held on to my sin, as I concealed my sin, my prayers felt like they were going to the, just to the ceiling, weren't going anywhere. And he realized that his sin was putting a hindrance and a blockage in his communication with God. And how David wrote in Psalm 32, how living in sin can affect us emotionally and even physically. He, as David even wrote, he said, When I concealed, when I hid my sin, my bones were wasting away. But when he repented, life, power, and joy returned. You see, repentance, keeping short accounts before God and before others, ought to be a daily part of our lives. Not just one and done. Not just when you come to salvation. There's some who believe that that once you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you repent once, you you, you, you tell 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 Jesus that you're sorry for your sins. And no, it, it's a life of daily repentance. Why? Because we daily continue to battle the world, the flesh, the devil, and there's daily that we fall into areas of sin. And you say, well, not me. Then you're full of pride, and you just lied, and it's not true, and you're just like the rest of us. Paul repented. I just wonder what our relationships and conversations would look like and our lives would look like if we lived with ongoing repentance between us and God. How about, are you honoring God and his word in your relationships, in your conversations, in your private life, in your thought life? Are you honoring God's word in your finances? That's a big part of it. Who who owns everything that you have? Is it you or is it God's? Are you giving generously and sacrificially to his kingdom work as his word instructs and calls us to be obedient in? All of these different areas in our lives, as we become aware of these things, we desire to be obedient to God's word. And when we do repent, when we return, the joy comes back. And this sets up Paul for an amazing experience. Let's continue on here and see what happens. You see, for you and I to experience Christ in the chaos, we must come under the authority of God's word. We must be obedient to his word. But second of all, to experience Christ in the chaos requires knowing that Jesus stands with us. Look in verse 6. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Instead of Paul defending himself and his actions and trying to get out of jail for free card, he's making this about Jesus. He's taking this opportunity to preach Jesus. He gives a defense about Jesus being Messiah, about the resurrection, and they all had various beliefs in regards to that, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And barely, once again, he barely got any words out and look what happens. And when he said this, verse 7, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, no, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and con- contended sharply. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would, once again, be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. So another riot breaks out, like chaos and confusion again. He just kind of knows how to stir the pot, and then thankfully the Roman soldiers come and carry him out of there. His riot, this riot breaks out, his life is in danger, and now he's in custody. He's in, 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 in protective custody of the Romans. Again, a dark season for Paul. He's now humiliated, bruised, bloody, alone, dejected, dispirited, confused. And no doubt in those prison there were the thoughts that were starting to go, God, where are you? What are you doing? I'm trying to be faithful. I'm doing what you've called me to do. I'm desiring to honor your word, and I mess up, and thankfully I fessed up, but oh, it just, nothing is going right. Look at verse 11. This is glorious. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. What a moment. Commentators, Bible scholars all believe this wasn't a vision, this wasn't a trance, this wasn't a dream. This was Jesus Christ himself appearing to Paul that night in that prison. Christ's Christ's presence in that prison would have made it flame with light. And those words take courage. Those are words take heart, Paul. Be constant. Stick it out. See, it was only Jesus who spoke those words in the New Testament. He said it in Matthew chapter 9, in verse 2, where he says, Take courage, your sins are forgiven to the bedridden paralytic. In, in Matthew 9:22, to the woman who had a 12-year hemorrhage, he said, Take heart, your faith has healed you. In Matthew 9, in Matthew 14:27, he said that to frighten disciples who were on the storm-tossed sea. And he said, take courage, I am with you. In John chapter 16, verse 33, in the upper room before his crucifixion, take heart, take courage, I've overcome the world. For these people in the New Testament and now for Paul, and for you here today, folks, you need to be reminded of the truth. Take courage, he is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. For the child of God, when facing circumstances that are out of control, you're in the chaos, and I know many of you are. God wants you to know, to know that you are loved and that you can experience his comfort and his presence even today. His words for you are take courage, take heart, be constant, be consistent, stick with it. Remember, if you are a child of Jesus Christ here this morning, 1 John 4, four, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Or Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the Lord says, I will never leave you or forsake you, even to the end of the age. The primary way that Jesus will come to us today is going to be through his word. Jesus meets his children in his word. As we marinate our thoughts, our heart in the gospel, in the truth of God's word, as we worship him, as we, find, we will find strength in the truth of his word. Eight years ago, we were in the midst of a great ministry, time of confusion and chaos as a family. And yet, as I look back at it now, it was an incredibly sweet season of God's provision and God's presence and God's providence. There was one particular day in the fall of that year, eight years ago, I went up behind the mountain up behind our house. I think there's a picture of it on the screen. You have that picture? There we go. In the very ugly, burnout area from the great fire of 2000, everything, 2003, everything was devastated, just, just ugly, and, and, but there's many paths as you walk around up in there, and oftentimes I would just find myself in the middle of the day, just out there walking along these paths, calling out to God, desiring to worship, desiring to have my heart fixed on Him, but also very discouraged and confused And then one day I just kind of forged off the trail and I was just kind of freewheeling, I guess you could say, uh, with my runners on. And I came across this incredible little site, this rock with a cross etched in it. This became a worship center for me. I spent a lot of time on my knees there with God, praying, trying to worship, though not always easy, trying to forgive calling out to God, trying to make sense of it all. And it became a very special place, a place of surrender, seeking God's forgiveness and freedom from hurt, from bitterness, from the confusion. It's kind of cool. It was a number of months later, we went up there as a family as the chaos continued. And on a very difficult day, it was July 1st, I'll never forget that Canada Day, that we went to that Cross as as a family to spend some time together in worship and say, God, we don't know what to do, but we're going to keep our eyes fixed on you. And on our way home, we had a little family competition as we're kind of a competitive group. As we saw the whole way home, there was just this beautiful bouquet of flowers all over the place. And just here's a picture. It's not the best quality of just some of the flowers we were picking from that ugly burnout area. And what does God's word say? He will bring beauty from the ashes. God will meet us. As we, in our confusion, primarily He's going to meet us through His word. I I didn't go up there looking for a sign from God. It wasn't God, show yourself to me. He's already done that in His word. He's already shown himself to me. He's shown himself to you because he stood for you at the cross. And today he stands by you. He stands with you. Never will he leave you nor forsake you in the confusion and the chaos. And we worship and we trust and we hold on. We hear his words. Hear his words today. He knows He knows what's right, he knows what really happened, and he cares, he's with you, if you're his child here today, he'll never leave you or forsake you, if you're not his child here today, trust him as your Lord and Savior, and he will be with you forever. Take courage, be constant, take heart. And this happens as we place ourselves under the authority of God's word, as we surrender our lives to him. He shows himself to be faithful and true. And he will do that whether it's through the reading of his word and there will be a timely verse. A scripture verse that just pops out and just gives life to the situation. Gives hope. Maybe it's a sermon, a timely sermon. Maybe this sermon. Maybe it's a worship song that just meets you and God just ministers to you through that. Maybe it's a timely text or a phone call from a friend Maybe it's a cross etched into the stone. Thank you. He desires to meet his children. God's manifest presence. Daily reminders through his word, but we can experience. Take courage. Take heart. He cares. He knows. He will guide. He will provide. He will make a way. And look what Jesus tells him, verse 11. You have testified about me in Jerusalem. In other words, well done, Paul. You did what you were supposed to do. Well done, good and faithful servant. Didn't go as you you thought, but you accomplished what you were to accomplish. But then he says to him, you will also testify in Rome. It was also Paul's desire to get to Rome and to preach there, to, to proclaim Christ there. And Jesus tells him, you're not finished. This isn't the end of you. You're going to make it to Rome. Christ's words so greatly encouraged Paul that day. And from this point, as you continue reading through the book of Acts, as we're going to work through this through the rest of this fall season, Lord willing, we're going to see an unwavering Paul. We're going to see a Paul who would not take his eyes off of the mission that God had called him to do and to be faithful He pretty much remained a prisoner the rest of his life, but he did make it to Rome. The third thing we see here in this passage is in order to experience Christ in the chaos of our lives, it requires pressing on by faith, knowing that God is at work in all things. We're not going to take time to read the rest of the chapter. I encourage you to do it because it's a brilliant story. But here we see event after event. You can look at them as little picture events or big picture events. We choose to look at the big picture and we see even though how God works in the little events, the little situations towards the big providential sovereign care and protection and guidance of God in his life. From verses 12 to 35, we see how a group of 40 Jews, over 40 Jews said, we're not going to eat. We're not going to drink until we kill him. We're going to, we're going to kill Paul. And so this group bands together, but little did they know was an unnamed nephew of Paul's that we never even knew anything about Paul's family. He just happened to overhear these guys saying, "We're, we're, we're going to do this hunger deal until Paul is dead." I mean, they're taking this serious vow. He overhears, and he goes to the Tribune and tells the Tribune, he says, "Hey, uh, this is what's going on here. They're going to try to kill Paul. They're going to try to create this ambush. They're getting the religious leaders in on it. But God. But God in this situation provides this nephew of Paul to overhear and to to stand in for Paul and to get the news to the tribune. But God, the tribune then takes an army. Paul gets an escort with 470 soldiers from Jerusalem to Caesarea in the middle of the night. 200, it says, 200 spearmen, 200 soldiers, and 70 horsemen, elite Roman soldiers to transfer Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea where he would be under better protection there. And in the days, the months, the years that followed, the remaining chapters and acts, there would be trials and hearings and prison and a shipwreck and a snake bite, but each step moving him closer to Rome because he heard those words, take courage as you testified in Jerusalem, you're also going to testify in Rome. Every step, the ups and the downs, were going to get him further to fulfilling that mission. You know, those words that he heard from Jesus that day would be anchoring north star words for Paul that would propel him to be faithful no matter what. He would later write in the book of Philippians, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. His testimony gave others an encouragement to press on, to not give up. The reason why we have churches today and the, the, the gospel movement did not end with that age, even though they faced bitter opposition, is because people saw in Paul his courage, his, his determination to fulfill the mission that God had called him. Are we being faithful to the mission that God has called us? You know, I can't help but wonder today how many of you might be thinking, well, I sure would like to have an anchor verse. I sure would love to have an experience with Jesus in in a way that he would speak to me right now and, and, and give me those words if Jesus would just show up. Folks, I want to declare to you this morning, he is here. He's right here. He's here, and you can find him here today, and you can find him this week, and you can find him in the rest of your life in the written word of God. This is Jesus' revelation to us in God's word and all throughout there are words of encouragement and reminders, but here is a sweet word, I believe, for every one of us here today. Here is your anchor verse to propel you, I trust, to the end of your mission, to the, to the end for you to be found faithful, to hear those words from him, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's your anchor verse. Here's my anchor verse. It was written, ironically, by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It should be on the screen. And we know that for those... We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. God's word declares that he is present, he is active, and he is at work in all things. He's not saying all things are good. Because let's face it, not all things are good, are they? Cancer, strife, fear... Sin, divorce, abuse, these things aren't good. But God wills and is working and ruling over and overruling circumstances to accomplish his purposes for our lives. And he will bring good as we stay faithful and trust him. Paul trusted him that all circumstances he faced were moving him closer to Rome We must believe that God is at work in all things, even though at times we don't see it. You see, we think good means a new car, a house, health, marriage, a good marriage, children who follow the Lord, a successful career. Yes, those are good things. But verse 29 goes on to tell us what the ultimate good is in our lives. Verse 29, for those Whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The good, the ultimate good is is that we would become more and more like Jesus. That our circumstances are growing and building us and preparing for us and producing, preparing for us a homecoming but producing godly character in us. Whatever it is that you're going through, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, he is there. He is faithful, but we need to realize that one day, one day, he will make all things new. One day would we desire to hear, well done, good, and faithful servant. It's vital that we interpret the little things, which are huge things right now, but in in eternal perspective, our little things in light of the big picture. As Paul remained faithful in fulfilling his mission, would we remain faithful in being conformed to the image and character of Jesus Christ? Darren's going to sing a song over us right now, and I trust that this would be a time of reflection, of repentance, of examining our own lives. And the first question is, are you under the authority of God's word? Are you living an obedient life when it comes to God's word? Are you kind of like smorgasbording it through, picking and choosing what you're going to obey and what you're going to do? It's not the way to live. You won't experience the next truth and reality in your life if you're living in unrepentant areas of sin in your life or outright disobedience from God. Repent. Repent. Ask him to forgive you. He will forgive. If there's things you need to make right with others, do it. We want to live under the authority of God's word. But it's also believing by faith that he's standing with you here today. That he is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. That you are a loved, treasured child of God. And it also requires pressing on in faith. One step at a time. Trusting, believing allowing him to conform and transform you to become more like Jesus. Would we worship and respond through our prayers and then ultimately through our lives in the weeks ahead?